A recent headline in Politico stated, Congress set to dump no child left behind. Once the federal silver bullet for raising standards in education, a new, very different bill is poised to take its place. The Every Student Succeeds Act, and we're here with someone who is part of the crafting of this and part of understanding what this means for education, Professor Marty West at the Harvard Ed School. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Marty, tell us a little bit about your involvement in this bill coming to, to pass and a little bit about you spent some time in Washington, you spent some time testifying before Congress, a little bit of the history of how we got to this point where the House just voted to pass something that's going to replace No Child Left Behind. Yes, so No Child Left Behind has been overdue for reauthorization since 2007, and there's been a lot of consensus that the law needed some changes, but not much consensus about exactly what changes were needed to uh, to fix it. And I got to be part of the process of trying to work on that issue in the 2013-2014 academic year and the summers around it when I uh, was able to work for the Senate Education Committee for its ranking member, Lamar Alexander, who's now the chair. Uh, and at that point, we did make an effort uh, in 2013 to come to consensus on a bill to replace No Child Left Behind. But unfortunately, at that point, uh, Senator Alexander and then chairman of the committee, Tom Harkin of Iowa, just were not able to agree upon a basic framework within which to conduct those negotiations. So they agreed to work in parallel rather than together. And so they each drafted their sort of ideal visions of a reauthorization. And so I was able to work on that for the Republican member, Senator Alexander. Uh, and that Republican bill then became the foundation for uh, the law that Congress is considering right now, though it's obviously been changed uh, a lot over the past couple of years. So the big news is that the House passed this new bill, which is going to reauthorize. And, and That's right, and they passed it by uh, overwhelming majority, it's 359 to 64. So not much opposition. The opposition that did exist has come mainly from the right of the political spectrum, conservatives who felt like it didn't go far enough towards reducing the federal footprint in K-12 education. And talk about why this is a bipartisan effort. It seems like both sides are happy with certain parts of this sort of new act. Share a little bit more about why the why the liberals and the Democrats or the Republicans or the conservatives are both kind of happy with this change. Well, I think, I, I don't know if anyone's entirely happy with the change, which maybe is why it, everyone's able to get on board and supporting it. I think it's uh, less about excitement about what's in the bill and more about frustration with the status quo. And so the status quo is a federal law, No Child Left Behind, that many would say had did some good in its early years, but also had some problems that became more serious over time. Uh, and Congress's failure to take action to address those problems then led the Obama administration to uh, begin a process of really reauthorizing it from the executive branch by granting states waivers that offered them flexibility from many of the No Child Left Behind Act's more problematic requirements, but only on the condition that they adopt a number of policies that the Obama administration wanted to uh, see them adopt. Uh, and that process led to a lot of frustration in Congress about the executive branch uh, taking matters into its own hands. Uh, it's also some of those policies have generated a bit of a backlash in the state. So requirements uh, that states develop uh, statewide systems of teacher evaluation in particular that incorporate uh, student test scores into a teacher's evaluation rating uh, have led to a lot of uh, uh, resistance. 
And so I think it's, it's really um, one of the things that happened from the time when I was working on the Hill to the present day is that the environment changed. And so uh, I think legislators were, when deciding whether or not to support a reauthorization proposal, were asking themselves when I was there, how does this compare to my ideal vision of reform? Now they're asking themselves, how does this compare to the status quo? And many of them see this as an improvement on the status quo. Improving the status quo. Take that for what it is, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And obviously we're hearing a lot of talk about No Child Left Behind, the Common Core, amongst a lot of the political candidates that are talking right now. What, is, what does this new reauthorization mean for the Common Core writ large and the sort of role and the legacy of Senator or Secretary Duncan and President Obama? Well, uh, this is an area where actually there was consensus, both among the proponents and the critics of the Common Core, that they wanted to make it clear that the federal government should have no involvement in states' decisions about whether or not to participate or continue their participation in Common Core. Uh, I think proponents want that to uh, be the case because they realize that the perception that the federal government has been coercing, pressuring states to participate in the Common Core has uh, generated a lot of pushback and uh, perception that the Common Core is a federal uh, policy rather than a voluntary state-led effort. And so uh, now that the federal government has influenced states to, you know, many states to adopt the Common Core, uh, at this point, they want the federal government to be hands-off. And of course, the critics of the Common Core would want uh, that to be the case as well. And so uh, I think what this does is it says states really can make their own decisions free of any federal pressure about whether they want to continue their participation. And the, uh, you know, the Common Core was obviously a priority of the uh, Obama-Duncan administration. Uh, they often claimed credit for getting states to adopt higher standards. Um, and so their legacy in this area and in many others will depend now on what states decide to do going forward. So their legacy is really in the hands of states. That's the same uh, case in other uh, policy areas where they tried to have a, to make a difference. So when it comes to statewide systems of teacher evaluation, uh, those were required under the uh, waivers from No Child Left Behind. Congress has decided not to include similar requirements in this reauthorization bill. And uh, as a result, many states are now in the process of developing those systems. They'll be able to decide whether they want to continue moving forward. So there's a bit of a pendulum swing back towards power to the states. And someone described that the role of the federal government or the role of the Department of Education might be more as umpire in all of this. Would you agree with that? And, and how do you feel that the next Secretary of Education is going to be perceived and also be influential in education reform writ large? Well, this is certainly the swinging of a pendulum, uh, but it's a pendulum that's been swinging in a for a very long period in one direction, which is towards more federal involvement in K-12 education, and in particular into more federal oversight of state accountability systems for schools. And uh, this is really the federal government taking a step back, saying we're going to require you to continue to test students annually in math and reading in grades three through eight and once in high school to disseminate the results overall and by different subgroup of students within schools. Uh, but we're not gonna tell you much 
about what you need to then do beyond being transparent about that information. Uh, compromises late in the process led them to say, we are gonna ask states to identify 5% of their schools uh, as needing significant improvement to tell us what we're gonna do about that, uh, about performance in those schools, but there's not a lot of prescription and there are many, many outright prohibitions on the Secretary of Education's uh, ability to use his or her regulatory authority in ways that would extend beyond what the law specifically requires. And, uh, you know, so that will create an obstacle for future secretaries of education who want to pursue a reform agenda aggressively from the executive branch. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how one of the uh, consequences of the Obama administration's aggressive use of um, executive authority is to really prevent future uh, administrations from engaging in the same type of activity. So. You know, the joke going around is that uh, the future Secretary of Education isn't going to have very much to do. I think that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I think there's a real possibility that the role of the Secretary of Education, which traditionally has been very K-12 focused, could become something uh, with more of a dual focus between higher ed and K-12. Higher ed has generally been in the department left to uh, other officials. And I think uh, you might see change there going forward. Is, is there any, this is kind of an aside, is there any credence to, I know some candidates want to eliminate the Department of Ed. Do, do you think that would ever happen depending upon whoever became president? I, is that even possible? It's a bit of a red herring because uh, when members of Congress or presidential candidates call for the elimination of the Department of Education, they don't often also call for eliminating all federal programs, uh, in particular in higher ed, where the federal government does a lot of spending. And so you need someone to administer those programs. Uh, and uh, certainly that hasn't been a winning position for a candidate for many, many years. So uh, I think that's a bit of a distraction. Marty, Marty last question. Are you hopeful right now? I know this is this is a step in the right direction in your mind, um, but will it will it allow for lasting impact on the lives of, of children and learners in this country? I am hopeful, and uh, I but it depends. The outcomes of this process depend on what states choose to do going forward, uh, and the hope is that. Uh, states will be held accountable by their citizens, by uh, advocacy groups on behalf of disadvantaged children to uh, come up with accountability systems that actually do result in uh, improved performance, uh, that don't mask failure in the ways that we know states did uh, at various times in their uh, history. Um, and so it really depends on the decisions of the states as influenced by uh, their citizens. And, um, you know, I think the politics of education have changed uh, over the past several decades in a way that gives me at least uh, some basis for hope that we'll see states making good decisions going forward. Folks, if you'd like to continue this conversation, you can obviously engage with us using the at HGSC on Twitter. Marty, you also have a Twitter account. You're pretty active on Education Next as well. And you have a podcast, too. That's right. We're uh, trying to generate a little competition for you, the Ed Next podcast. Fr friendly uh, competition. Friendly competition, of course. Uh, there's a need for more uh, good education commentary. Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at, at Prof Marty West. At P-R-O-F-M-A-R-T-Y-W-E-S-T. 
great, great tweeter, great, great person in the Ed School community and the larger education community in general. Marty, thanks for being on the EdCast. Thanks again for having me. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.